So as we continue this series, what we've been doing kind of before uh, uh, the summer and leading into the summer, we've been going through the Gospel of Mark. And we've been looking at how the life and teachings of Jesus are relevant to our lives as followers of Jesus today. So as we continue this series, I want to start, I want to ask you a very simple question this morning to get you thinking about the text that we're going to look at. I want you to be really honest with yourself. You don't have to share your answer with the person sitting beside you. Just be really honest with yourself this morning. I want you to ask yourself, do I think I'm great? Well, that just got really uncomfortable. <laughs> okay, let's, maybe we'll, we'll break it down a little bit. Do you consider yourself to at least be great at something? But there is something, if you were honest, and okay, and let's like not be like, you know, these humble fake Christians for a moment. Okay, one of our core values here as a church is to be real. Okay, let's be real before God and let's be real before one another. When we all put on kind of that Canadian Christian, oh no, the Lord is great. I'm so humble and I'm not great at anything. Oh, shut up. (laughs) Because I know for a fact There are things in your life, and you consider yourself to be great at it. Maybe you're great in business. Or maybe you're a great leader. Or maybe you're doing really great in school. Or maybe you're really great at handling money and finances. Or maybe you're a great mom. Old, but you're a great grandparent. (laughs) Maybe you're a great sibling, a great friend, right? What, is there something in your life where you are great? Why does that question bother us? Why do we feel icky being honest with each other about an area of our lives where we're great, That's what I want us to look at today in Mark chapter 9. We have a problem with us pursuing greatness. Let me say that again, because some of you are going to go, Pastor Kevin, that's wrong, because I've gone to church my whole life, and I was told I'm no good. I was told I'm a dirty, rotten sinner. I was told I suck, that I'm no good, that I'm unlivable, that there's nothing good about me. It's only God that's good. Jesus doesn't have a problem with us pursuing greatness. What he has a Mark's gospel. We need to consider... What does Jesus consider to be great? So that you and I, as followers of Jesus in this world today, are not pursuing our definition of greatness, but we're pursuing Jesus' definition of greatness for our lives. Just a kind of way of summary, just kind of piggybacking a little bit off of Jerry's message last week of where we're at in the Gospel of Mark. Just kind of, I want to just summarize a little bit chapter 7 and chapter 9 is Jesus is going around traveling from town to town, and Jesus is doing some great things. He's doing some incredible, mind-blowing stuff, world-changing stuff here. 
He heals a deaf man, a man who's deaf and mute. He feeds 4,000 people. He teaches with this authority, warning the people that, you see these religious leaders over there, they're teaching, they're, they're teaching, man, it sounds right, but they're leading you astray because it's just words. Their lives don't actually live out what they're teaching here. So you've got to be very mindful of these people. Right? He heals a blind man. Jesus goes to his followers and says, who do you think I am? And Peter declares, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the Son of God. And Jesus doesn't say, oh, no, no, Peter, that's wrong. I'm just a good teacher. I'm just like Mr. Rogers trying to tell people to love their neighbor, wearing their cardigan and their slippers. He doesn't deny the claim. If you're here today and you're struggling and you're not too sure who Jesus is, if Jesus is just one of many options for you, um, the problem is Jesus never said that. He never said he's one of many options. He's going around doing these incredible things, declaring himself to be the Messiah. He predicts that he will die and be risen from the dead. He actually predicts this twice, and then he's going to do it again a third time. And then there's an event called the transfiguration. And what this is, a big fancy Christian word, where some of his followers, his closest followers of Peter, James, and John, saw Jesus in the fullness of his glory. They saw the brightness. They saw Jesus in the fullness of his glory in the presence of God with Moses and Elijah there as witness to it. These are some great things that Jesus did. And one of the things I find fascinating about the ministry of Jesus when we study it and we look at everything that Jesus did while he was on earth, everything that he taught When he went to his followers, he said, you see all of these things? You, as my follower, will do these things and things even greater. But that sink in for a moment. Jesus calls his church to greatness, to do even greater things than he did. Why are we uncomfortable with the topic of greatness? Why do we settle for a Christianity that's boring, without power, and just sees people leaving by the tens of thousands across our country? It's because we've forgotten what Jesus calls us to. He calls us to lives of greatness. And the big idea that I want us to unpack in Mark chapter 9 is this. And if you only remember one thing today, this is what I want you to remember. So write it down. Put it on your fridge this week. But greatness is all about lives that reflect Jesus. Greatness in your life is all about reflecting the life of Jesus. So let's look here at the end of Mark chapter 9. And I want to break this text down a little bit into three kind of categories to help us see how each and every one of us individually and how we as a church family can live lives that reflect Jesus in everything that we do. Okay, the first thing that we need to look at, if you truly want to live a life that reflects Jesus, is you and I need to deal with our pride. We need to deal with our pride. 
Look at how Mark chapter 9 here, starting in verse, uh, let's see, where do I want to start? Verse 33. This is what Mark writes for us. It says, they came, being Jesus and his followers, they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the most humble No, they argued about who was the greatest. (laughs) Sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and he said, anyone who wants to be the first must be the very last and a servant of all. When you read these few verses here in the context of Mark chapter 8 and Mark chapter 9, this story is absolutely hilarious. Like this is bust the gut funny now maybe this is just me as a bible geek that thinks this is funny but look look what's going on here okay what's happening here is right before this passage a father brings his son to the disciples of jesus because this boy is possessed by an unpure spirit and he goes this father brings his son to the disciples saying this this spirit in my son is causing convulsions and foaming in the mouth and gnashing of teeth and all of these problems disciples could you deal with this impure spirit now you might be thinking well why didn't they just go to jesus why go to the middleman go to the source itself well in mark chapter 6 jesus gives authority to the disciples to deal with impure spirits They don't have power. It's Jesus's power. But they have been given authority in the name of Jesus to deal with the unpure spirits in the world. So in the authority that they have been given by the Messiah, by by God in the flesh, fully God, fully man, the authority that they've been given, they try to deal with the impure spirit, and they fail. They can't do it. They mess it up. So Jesus has got to deal with it. Jesus does the healing himself. And then Jesus gives, I think, like one of the absolute, one of my favorite things about Jesus is just how honest he is in his conversations with people. And he sees these disciples. It's like, I've given you this authority. I've given you this right over the realm of darkness. And they just can't seem to get it together. And Jesus' response is, oh, don't pick it up you'll get it next time no he goes man what's wrong with you how much longer do i need to deal with your lack of faith it's like you're seeing all this greatness around you step up that's the kevin paraphrase of the words of jesus right they completely fail what's wrong with you people how long do i need to put up with your lack of faith So Jesus heals the boy. They leave. They pass through Galilee. They arrive in Capernaum. And on the way, in their failure, are arguing about who's the greatest. They messed up. They failed. And here they are bragging and arguing about who's the best. That's hilarious to me. Okay, maybe you're not laughing as much as I did when I studied this, but this is hilarious. And what's, maybe the reason we're not laughing is because, oh, um, I do that too. <laughs> when I fail, I cover up my failures through my pride. 
and my bragging. I almost wonder if Mark left out the details of the argument so that we would all relate to this story a little bit better. Because each and every one of us have pride that we need to deal with. And if you want the greatness of Jesus, if you want that greatness of a life that reflects Jesus, you and I need to deal with our pride. This is what happens when we mess up. Okay, yeah, I know um, I forgot to take the trash out today. But last week, did you see all that garbage I took out? I even took out extra garbage last week. Those extra bags that you didn't know about, I took care of it last week. Or kids in school. Oh, okay, yeah, right, mom, dad. Okay, I know I failed this test. Okay, I know I completely, I got like 4%. But on the last test, I got a 76. You know, so my average kind of, I'm still passing the course. Okay, I know I messed up. I know I argued. I know I fell through. I know I gave in to temptation this time. Oh, I know I opened up my computer screen to stuff I know I shouldn't look at. I know I treated people in a way I shouldn't. But, you know, last time I did. We are great at covering our faults. Not through the way Jesus wants us to cover them, by just turning to God in repentance, asking for forgiveness, turning to the person that we hurt and wounded and asking for their forgiveness. No, instead we cover up our failures with our ego and our pride because we're awesome and we're great when we pursue the wrong kind of greatness. Jesus says anyone who wants to be the first must be the very last and a servant of all. Like this word first, it's the Greek word protos. And protos means to be the absolute best. To be the absolute best. To be the first of all others. Jesus, again, doesn't seem to criticize the pursuit of being the best. Doesn't criticize the pursuit of being first. He criticizes the pride and the ego that's there. You want to be the best of the best of the best? You want to be the absolute greatest? Then be a servant. Be a servant to all. Put your pride in check. I don't know about you, but some of the greatest leaders I have ever met have been some of the most humble women and men. I have ever been around. I have met presidents and CEOs of large companies who don't see their position as something to lord over other people. All the perks and the benefits that they get as president or CEO. No, they see themselves as a servant. They see themselves as there's like hundreds of families under them who depend on them doing a good job so that they can have livelihoods for their family. They serve the people under them. I've seen ministry leaders with the same type of attitude, ministry that's impacting tens of thousands of people all over the world, and the leaders of these ministries are some of the most humble women and men I have ever met because they're servants of all. There is nothing wrong with pursuing a ministry that sees more and more and more people accepting Jesus. 
But if you're doing it so that you are great, (laughs) there's a heart problem. There's a pride problem that needs to be evaluated. Jesus shows us we can pursue greatness for the right reasons of reflecting him. So the first thing we need to do is we have to deal with our pride. So greatness is all about lives that reflect Jesus. So it starts with dealing with our pride. The second thing, if you want a life that reflects Jesus, it's about investing in others. Investing in others. Right, the passage here continues in verse 36. So he just kind of said to his disciples, you want to be the first? You want to be the the best of the best of the best? You want to be the greatest? Then be a servant. Takes a small child and he places the child among them. And Jesus, taking the child in his arms, said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but welcomes the one who sent me. What Jesus is saying right here in this moment is you see this little child, if you welcome this child in my name, you're not just welcoming Jesus. You are welcoming the very presence of God the Father. You're not just welcoming me. You're welcoming him who sent me, the very presence of God the Father. You have welcomed into your life when you welcome little children. I just want to skip down to verse 42, because Jesus continues this topic of children. It says, If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. Probably one of the hardest verses to read in the New Testament. It's one of the verses is, um, they're kind of known as judgment verses. We don't like to think of Jesus as judge, uh, but Jesus is judge. (laughs) The Bible teaches us that one day Jesus will judge the living and the dead. And the Bible teaches us that it's not, we're not judged by our works, but there's actually two judgments. The first judgment is the judgment of, do you know Jesus or not? (laughs) And those who know Jesus will enter into God's glory, and those who don't will be separated from the love of God for all eternity. That's the judgment number one. But then there's judgment number two for those of us who are in God's eternal love. And there's a judgment on how you and I lived our lives. And there are rewards, perks. I don't know. The Bible's not very clear on it, but it just says it's coming. How you and I live our lives will be judged on it. And so this thing here about this millstone, this is a big giant rock with a hole in the middle that's used to crush grain into flour. And Jesus said, if you cause children to lose their faith in Jesus, it would be better for you in the kingdom of heaven that you had a rock thrown on your neck and you were just drowning in the sea. That's hard to hear. But think about it in Jesus' culture. See, children in Jesus' time um, had no rights or privileges. Right? They couldn't, if, you know, the parent grounded them, they couldn't call the government and send the police after mom and dad. Like we can, kids, if you do that, don't, okay? Unless it's really bad, obviously. But the, the children... And we see that in the heart of Jesus' followers. There's another passage in the Gospels where these children were trying to get to Jesus. And the disciples are looking at these kids saying, go away. 
we're doing important stuff here. You're a waste of our time. You're a waste of our effort. Go away. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Let these little children come on to me. And we as grown-ups, we can learn from them because we need to have childlike faith the way these kids do. (laughs) Jesus is reflecting a level of servanthood that the world had never seen to that point. (laughs) Of serving, investing in people who culture considers to be the least. And Jesus is saying, serve them. This word, uh, welcome, that is used here in the gospel, it literally means to receive them as a guest. And if you know anything about Hebrew culture, guests were of incredible importance. You would clean the house for a guest. You would buy the best food for the guest. Jesus modeled this as well when he removed his clothing, wrapped himself in a towel, and washed the feet of his guest at dinner. Jesus said that should be our attitude of investing in others. If a life of greatness is a life of servitude, of being a servant, but it's, he ties it in here, this investing in others, there's specifically a part for us to play in the next generation. See, in our church here, I say this a lot, the kids in our church are not the church of tomorrow. They're the church right now. And here's where I can say this. When you, okay, here's a little sidebar. I told you, I haven't preached in three weeks, so be warned. When you preach, there's a balancing act. There's pastor, because I love you and I want what's best for you. But then there's prophet, and sometimes you've got to call people out. There's a balance in the two. Okay? The reason I know the kids are the church today is because kids in our, some of the kids in our kids' ministry and some of the teenagers in our fusion ministry have shared their faith in Jesus with more people than you have in the last ten years. So they're the church right now. If you're too uncomfortable talking about Jesus, then we'll equip the kids to go do it. And we'll pour money and resources and time and energy to raise up them. That's the call. This is what Jesus is talking about. If you're not going to welcome them, if we're going to do stuff in our ministry that actually causes children to leave the church, in that day of judgment, God will look at us as pastors and elders and small group leaders, and he will say to us, it was better for you to drown than doing ministry that kept all you older people happy. And the reason this is tough to hear is because look at our culture today. Look at Canada today. How many kids has the church lost over fighting? We don't like the music. It's too loud. We don't like this. We don't like that. I prefer this. I prefer that. I would rather see my kids and my grandkids leave the church than making changes necessary to impact the next generation. We have to be men and women who've got a little gray hair here and a little less hair here (laughs) that are all about investing in others. All about investing in others. Because that is what greatness is all about. Too many great churches in the last 10 years have closed their doors. 
because they forgot about this one. (laughs) Great ministries impacting huge amounts of people, but they forgot (laughs) to invest in the least of these. (laughs) The kids right beside us, under our watch. So we need to invest in others. So if you want a life of greatness, greatness is all about a life that reflects Jesus. We have to start with dealing with our pride. We have to be men and women, a church, committed to investing in others, especially the next generation. And finally, we need to work in unity. Look at how Mark finishes this section here in Mark chapter 9 in verse 38. The disciples come up to Jesus and they say, Teacher, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. Now again, this is hilarious. (laughs) Think about what we just summarized before, right? Again, seriously, these guys are that thick. Okay, we messed up casting out demons before, so now, but we're still going to argue about who's the best. Oh, and now guess what? We see someone succeeding where we failed. Hey, Jesus, you need to stop that person because they're not one of us. You see, we're the inner circle. We're the 12, capital T, okay? We're important people who Jesus has got to keep slapping around because of the lack of faith, and there's someone over there doing exactly what Jesus commanded the 12 to do. They can't do it. That person's doing it. Pride kicks back in. And instead of rejoicing in the ministry of someone else, they want to shut it down because they're not one of us, right? Not one of us. And how does Jesus reply? Oh, you're right. We need to stop that because they're not doing it the way I taught you. No, Jesus says, do not stop him. For no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. If you want a life of greatness, we need to learn to work in unity. In the church family and in the larger Christian community in our city. It's okay to have theological differences. There's nothing wrong with that. It is okay to be grounded and firm in your position of what you think the Bible teaches. But we got to be mindful. This is where that dealing with your pride part kicks in. If there's tension in the Christian church, if there's kind of, let's, let's just pull out one that's fun, because this is a fun one. And I know all the shoulders go up when I say this one. The role of women in leadership. Ah, oh, he went there. Yeah, he did. It's okay to have a difference of opinion. But if you want to sit there and come to me and argue that the Bible is clear, Pastor, then why is there so much disagreement over 2,000 years? Because it's not as clear as we want it to be. And that's okay. role of women, type of music, how we do communion. 
whether you're a six-day, 24-hour creationist or whether you believe in theistic evolution, if you don't know what any of that stuff means, that's okay. Email me. We'll get together, have coffee, and geek out over some theology. Okay? We don't split the church over secondaries. We'll work in unity with any church, with any person who declares that Jesus Christ is Lord. That Jesus was sent from the Father. That he is the only way to deal with the sin of humanity. That he was born of a virgin. That he lived a sinless life. That the wrath of God that should have gone on us for our sin instead went on him. And by his death, God is fully pleased. He was put in another man's tomb. Three days later, he he is risen from the dead, showing his victory over sin and death and Satan. He ascends back into into heaven, and he's at the right hand of God the Father, speaking to God the Father on our behalf. He sends the third part of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, into every person who has accepted Christ as Lord. And you are born again. You are made new. And you receive spiritual gifts, not for your perk and benefit, but for the building of God's kingdom in the church. (laughs) That stuff I'll split the church over. That stuff I'll remove people from leadership over if you don't agree with that stuff. But the secondaries, we have got to learn in our tension, in our discomfort (laughs) of working in unity. I have seen this one play out in my life so much because um, I, I have my viewpoints and, and, and I'm reminded regularly that I can be a little strong in them <laughs> and I can be a little persuasive in them. But just because I have my opinion and my viewpoint doesn't mean I'm right. I know that was a hard one to learn. I've been working on that one probably for about 12 years now, and I think God's starting to chip away at that one. <laughs> that some, I could be wrong on some of these viewpoints of the secondary issues. I could be wrong. In fact, I don't know about you and your, your faith journey. Have you changed your mind on some of those secondary issues? In 20 years, I have. I've changed my mind. I've changed it back. I've changed it again. I change it back, depending on what conference I went to, what book I read, what leader I followed. It's a journey. It's a journey that we're all on. And we need to live lives of greatness, working in unity. This one really hit home to me because what we see here in the disciples is we see jealousy. If you have jealousy over the success of another person, another Christian, another ministry, another church, another pastor. You're on the wrong path to greatness. God revealed that to me in my life about 10 years ago. I used to be a part of a leadership team that was overseeing kind of this national ministry, and they were putting conferences on, and they had picked a a speaker. And I was in that meeting going, yeah, they're good. But they're not as good as me. How come they're not picking me? And right away, the voice of God, not audible, but just that impression just came on on me and said, that's why they're not picking you. (laughs) Thank you, Lord, (laughs) for the reminder of humility. 
That's exactly why they're not picking me, because I think I'm better than that person. <laughs> okay, God has done great work. So now I can sit there and look at other churches that are baptizing people, churches that are large, people that are seeing more people come to Christ, and I can pray for them and rejoice working in unity together, because that's what greatness is all about. It's not about our greatness, Greenbelt's great, greatness, Kevin's greatness, your greatness. It's about the greatness of Jesus being declared in our city. If you want greatness, it's all about lives that reflect Jesus. If you want a life that reflects Jesus, if we truly want to be a church that reflects Jesus, we need to deal with our pride just like Jesus did. See, Jesus is fully God. And Jesus didn't see his godhood as something to lord over us. In fact, he didn't come here to be served, but came to be a servant of many. That he was willing to allow sinful men and women to accuse him, to spit on him, to beat him, to nail him to a cross. Talk about the ultimate example of dealing with pride. And while he was hanging on the cross, dying for our sins, he looks at his mockers and he says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Jesus models the ultimate example of dealing with pride. We need to deal, we need to invest in others, just like Jesus did. He didn't come to serve, uh, to be served, he came to serve others. He didn't come to have his feet washed, he came to wash the feet of others. He didn't come to be put on a pedestal and go on the preaching circuit and kind of be this national speaker. (laughs) He came to love and to serve people that the culture considered the least. Children, lepers, widows. (laughs) Who are the least of these in our world today that the church needs to stop criticizing and start serving and loving them in truth? (laughs) And finally, if you want a life of greatness, we have to work in unity. The Bible teaches us that there is one spirit. There is one Lord. There is one God the Father. There is one bride of Christ, the church. And in our disagreements, we can all work together. Because that's what Jesus models for all of us. If you truly want to be great, your life needs to reflect Jesus. And that starts literally from living a life that's surrendered to him and in a crowd this side and people watching online i I don't know where you're at with jesus maybe you just think jesus is a good man a good teacher maybe you you kind of believe the culture that says well as long as you're sincere in your faith it doesn't matter what you believe you know all paths lead to heaven whether it's this god this leader this religion this type of faith If you're here today, I'm so glad that you're here, and I just want you to know how much God loves you. But you need to know the culture is lying to you. Because Jesus never said it's all the same. If you believe all faith is the same, go to a devoted, strict Muslim and tell him it's the same. And see the reaction. They don't believe it's the same, and neither do we. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. And a life of greatness starts with that decision of believing that God truly sent his son to die for us. 
and that we can truly be made right with God. The sins that we do, the pride that we have is ultimately dealt with by Jesus. And when we surrender our pursuit of greatness to his pursuit of greatness, making Jesus great, that's the beginning. And you can do that so simply from here, wherever you're sitting or online, just by praying a simple prayer that just says, God, thank you that Jesus died for me. Today, I invite you in my life. Today, make me new. I want to make you great in my life. And if you've done that before, whether you did that just now or you did that 30 years ago, how are you with your pride? How are you with serving others? Do you come to church just expecting to get what you want out of it, to be served by it? Or do you come to church with a servant's heart ready to be a blessing to others? If you can't answer yeah, I come to church so I can bless other people. You've got a heart thing you've got to look at. <laughs> if you look at other Christians and other denominations and you say, those people, you have a heart thing that you need to work on. Because Jesus wants greatness for your life. Jesus wants greatness for this church. Jesus wants greatness in his followers in our city to have an impact in this city and around the world. But it's all about lives that reflect Jesus.